CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Himalaya. You're listening to Think Like an Economist, a Himalaya learning production. For exclusive content like bonus episodes and supplemental materials for this podcast and others like it, go to Himalaya.com econ and enter promo code econ, E-C-O-N, at checkout to get your first 14 days free. It's time to think like an economist. My last job, I worked as a domestic violence advocate at a nonprofit organization. I did a lot of social work type things, so working in courts, working with victims of domestic abuse, working with offenders. And I had left that job right at the time that I had my second son. And I absolutely loved it. It was something that I knew that I wanted to do for the long term, and I wanted to build my career there. This is Megan from Maryland, and her job didn't just help pay the bills. It also brought her a lot of satisfaction and a sense of purpose. It was something that I was very passionate about. I loved working with people one-on-one, working with people in the community. I got to know people very well, and the other organizations that I worked with, like the police department and the court system, every day was like a fire that I needed to put out, and I kind of lived for that adrenaline rush knowing that there was probably going to be a crisis of some kind that I would need to help with. But after having her second child, Megan couldn't afford to work anymore. That may sound like a contradiction, but the cost of childcare was just too high. It was really hard to leave that job, and I still really love that job. That's what I was meant to do and where I was meant to be. This is a dilemma a lot of parents face and is one of several issues which impacts how much and whether people decide to work. But first, we're going to look at decisions which go into hiring on this week's episode of Think Like an Economist. I'm Betsy Stevenson. And I'm Justin Wolfers. On this podcast, we aim to transform your life through teaching you the superpowers of economics. And Nazdaran Tavakoli Far joins us. This week is about the labor market, which is both a huge topic and also really relatable for all of us. That's right. And it's already come up in a few of our episodes so far. The labour market can seem a bit tricky at first. So far, we've been talking about businesses making products or services and buyers purchasing them. Supply and demand. The thing we need to get used to now is that in the labour market, it's workers who supply their labour and employers who demand labour when they hire them. So I sell my labour to the University of Michigan, my labour being my world-class expertise in economics, The University of Michigan wants to hire top economists, so they demand my labor. Or you could say they buy my labor by paying me a price for it. That price is also known as my wage. I'm a seller of labor, and the university is the buyer. I guess most of us don't think of ourselves as suppliers, so we need to get to grips with the fact that we are suppliers, selling our labor. So as always, should we start with demand? Let's do it. So now businesses are demanding things. They need people to work for them. Let's start with deciding how many workers to hire. Here we bring in the marginal principle. So when a boss asks, 
How many workers should we hire? They really need to break the question down into, should we hire one more worker? And to do this, they need to figure out how much extra revenue each worker brings to the business. We call this a worker's marginal revenue or marginal revenue product. If a business wants to know whether they should hire an extra worker, they need to make sure the extra revenue which this worker brings to the business is more than the extra cost of hiring this worker. Or in economic speak, the marginal revenue a worker brings in needs to be more than the marginal cost of hiring them. And the marginal cost is just the wage. In our episode on the marginal principle, Samir from Milka Coffee Roasters in California told us about how he decides how many baristas to hire. You can go back and listen to that episode for the full details, but briefly, we heard that his first barista brought in a few hundred dollars for the business, and the cost of that barista was about $100. The second worker added about half of that, and worker number three added about a third of that. It made sense for Samir to hire two baristas. Employers need to make sure that the money an extra worker brings into the business is more than the cost of that extra worker. And so I guess if the wage falls, it'll be cheaper for Samir to hire more people. What else can change his demand for workers, or rather baristas in this case? Anything that changes demand for coffee drinks will change Samir's demand for baristas. Say coffee becomes more popular, so people are willing to pay more for his delicious coffees. This makes the work that his baristas do more valuable, making it more likely that it'll be worth hiring more of them. After that, the demand for labor is also closely tied to capital goods. These are the tools and machinery that workers use to do their jobs. For Samir, if espresso machines become cheaper than his baristas can make more coffees, so they add more to the business. In this case, coffee machines are complements as these espresso machines help the baristas do their job. Machines can also replace workers. Vending machines are an example, as they do away with making your drink altogether. This type of capital good is called a substitute, as it can do the job instead of a worker. And if such a state-of-the-art vending machine drops in price, well, there'll be a lot less demand for a barista as a machine can do their job instead. It's actually worth thinking about this when you're choosing your career. If your job involves routine tasks, well, then it's more likely that machines or robots will end up replacing your job in the future. In high-skilled jobs, labor and capital goods are more likely to be complements. For example, specialist software can help an engineer do their job more easily. High-skilled jobs are a safer bet for the future, and they usually require a lot of education. I think this question about robots and technology is really important as so many of us are talking about this and even freaking out about whether technology is going to replace us all. It's also important to pay attention to other costs that employers pay. Some jobs have benefits like health care or paid sick leave, and bosses contribute to these programs. These raise the cost of a worker. Sometimes the government will give business owners tax cuts so they can provide these benefits and hire more people. But at the end of the day, what matters for employers is what it costs them to hire an hour of labor, and that's their all-in compensation cost, not just the wage. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's how employers see it. Now let's flip the picture to a worker's perspective, moving from labour demand to labour supply, because workers are suppliers of labour. We'll need to sort out what motivates people to work, how much to work, and at what price. We're going to bring in some of the core principles to do this. The most important thing you need to think about, Naz, is the opportunity cost of working. What would you be doing if you weren't working on Think Like an Economist? So I may take on other work or spend some of that time catching up with a friend or doing something fun. Great. Economists often call the time spent not working leisure time. That word drives me crazy. When I'm not working at my job, I'm often working on essential chores around the house, looking after my kids, or doing some other form of work that isn't paid. When economists say leisure, they don't mean you're just sitting around doing nothing. They're talking about the time when you're not being paid for work. So when students are studying, economists call it leisure, even though it is still a lot of hard work. Next, we're going to bring in the marginal principle. When you're thinking of supplying your labour, Naz, you might think about how many hours to work. But hang on, a lot of jobs are still nine to five, though. So how much choice do we really have when it comes to how much of our labour we supply? That's true. But there are also jobs where you're hired by the hour, the day or the week. Or you might work on commission like a real estate agent and so get to decide how much to work each week. Other people working in salaried jobs will put in more effort if that changes the chance that they get a raise or a promotion that might make a big difference in their future income. Sometimes we stay late at work or put in long hours for the chance to earn more in the future. And if you can't work more hours at your current job, well, you could take on a second job. Naz, if you thought you could earn another, say, $80 by working on a Saturday, would you do it? No, I mean, I need that time to clear my head and clean the apartment, and I'd probably spend all the money I'd earned getting takeout and hiring a cleaning service. Now, what if it was $800 for the Saturday? For $800, I probably would, because I could cover the cost of cleaning my apartment and getting takeout for the rest of the week. The opportunity cost is what matters here, which is the alternative use of your time. The more hours you work, the more important alternatives you're being forced to give up. At some point, you can't hire someone else to eat for you, and you just need a break. You miss your family and friends if you don't make any time for them. I hope there's a point where I'm making so much money that I want to cut back on work to enjoy more time with my friends and family and to enjoy life. You're thinking about something economists call the income effect. When your wage goes up, you're richer. And if you're rich enough that you can already pay your bills and other essentials, the thing you might want most is to buy more time for yourself. You can do this by working less. The opportunity cost of working is actually a really big consideration for people who take care of others. Say you take care of an older relative or someone with health problems or you're a parent with small children. If you're not taking care of these people, you'll have to pay for someone else to take care of them. And that can be really expensive. You'll also miss the opportunity to be with someone you care for when they need you most. Earlier, we heard from Megan, who lives in Maryland. She told me about a dilemma she faced, which is familiar for many parents. 
I have two children. I have a daughter who is six and I have a son who is two. And I have been a stay-at-home mom since my son was born about two years ago. The last job that I had, I was working as a domestic violence advocate. I was earning just under $3,000 per month after tax. It was something that I was really invested in and I loved and I had a great boss and co-workers. So it was really like where my passion was at that time. And I think still is. I still have days where I wish I was there. And how does it feel not going back to that job, especially given you loved it so much? It's definitely a little heartbreaking. I went through kind of a mourning process after I left. I have days that are really good days that I'm, I love being home. I also have really hard days where I wish, I wish that I was back. She had to leave her job after having her second child as childcare for both her kids was too expensive. There were very few options. We were looking at spending anywhere from like 500 to $700 a week just for the two of them. It would have been around 2000 to $2,800 per month. And you were earning around $3,000 per month after tax. Yes. So right there, we can see Megan would be paying almost the same amount for childcare as she was earning from her job. Unfortunately, this is a very real problem for many parents, and especially for many women. And so, Megan, given in your last job you were earning around $3,000 a month, what's the maximum childcare cost that you'd pay where it would be worth it for you to return to work? It would make sense if I could find a daycare where I would pay between $1,200 and $1,600 a month for both my children. It would be extremely helpful if there were like a child care subsidy or something like that, that we would qualify for. I know that the government does offer those in very small amounts, and that's only if you're, I think, below the poverty line, which we aren't currently. Or if my work had offered something like to help pay for child care or some of the Larger companies that I know some of my friends work for, they offer in-house daycare services for their employees. When you're trying to figure out whether to work or not, it's important to remember the interdependence principle. Your wages tend to rise over time as you gain more experience. So if you take time out of the labor market, when you go back, you'll be earning less than you otherwise would have. Those lower wages might stick with you for years. In fact, maybe even the rest of your life. So these are really difficult decisions for families to make. Naz, can you think of anything else that may make you want to work less? Mm, Taxes, perhaps? I'm sure of it. Often when taxes go up, people are going to work less. If you're taking less money home, what's the point of working an extra hour, day or week? So higher taxes often reduce the amount people work. Okay, well, let's be clear. Economists debate how important this effect is. Many economists argue that it's it's pretty minor, but those economists who disagree tend to argue that lowering taxes will spur people to work a bit harder. Partly, it depends on the tax we're thinking about. For example, Social Security taxes in the U.S. don't just take money away from you. They also ensure that later on you'll get a lot of that money back as a retirement benefit. These taxes don't lead people to reduce their labour supply because they value those retirement benefits. So what's the big picture in all of this? 
It's that in many ways, the labor market's a lot like any market. How many jobs are available and the wages you might get paid depend on supply and demand. And that could give you useful insight as you're thinking about your career. First, on the demand side, think about your comparative advantage. What can you do more effectively than others? That's where you'll be most valued. And be forward-looking and think about careers where the demand for your work is likely to increase over time. That means focusing on the sort of non-routine tasks that machines aren't very good at and trying to find those careers where future technologies will actually make you more valuable. And then on the supply side, as you're making choices about how hard to work, pay attention to the other things you could be doing with your time. Realize that your career isn't just one choice, but a series of choices over time. And so it might make sense to work really hard when you're establishing your career and pulling back on paid work when it's time to invest in your education or spend time looking after others. And there's some truth to that old adage about doing what you love. That way you get paid in two ways, once in a weekly paycheck and again in that sense of purpose and meaning that we get from work. And that's the thing I want listeners to think about over the next few days. We've talked about the labour market as if it's all about supply and demand. But it's also different because it's about people who have thoughts and feelings and ambitions and families to balance. As you observe the people in your life over the next few days, think about how this human element shapes their labour market choices. Justin, Betsy, thanks very much. To get the most out of this show, check out our bonus episodes and supplemental materials available only on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts such as Ariana Huffington, Malcolm Gladwell, Tim Ferriss, and more for you to enjoy in the app on the go. Go to Himalaya.com econ and enter promo code econ, E-C-O-N, at checkout for your first 14 days free. It's time to think like an economist. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.